Global oil prices dropped to a five-month low last week, with the West Texas Intermediate falling below the $70 mark for the first time since the month of July. Prices rose slightly at the start of the week, but the downward trend overall continues. What's behind the oil price plunge and what can we expect ahead? For some insights, we now connect with Dr. Yang Jin-suk. Good morning, Dr. Yang. Good morning. Uh, can we first inform our listeners a little bit about the main factors that drove down the oil prices? Okay, well, uh, we should note, first of all, that the price of oil was falling before the uh, uh, October 7th Hamas terrorist incident and uh, subsequent Israel's invasion into the Gaza Strip. The reason I mention that is that that invasion was responsible for a temporary increase in price of oil. Uh, remember when all the uh, news about the invasion first started, uh, we had these uh, very uh, frightening scenarios of how oil prices may rise. Uh, there were reports by credible institutions pointing out that the uh, oil price may rise to as high as $150 per barrel. Uh, but... Uh, these numbers really, rep if you read those reports, then these numbers presented the worst possible scenario. And that scenario was that the uh, invasion would spread uh, and uh, it would uh, encompass other uh, oil-producing regions like Iran, uh, and mm -hmm. the uh, war would cut off the uh, marine transportation routes that uh, uh, ships uh, carrying oil would take, uh, but uh, and this was coupled uh, with the uh, concerns about increased fears about regional st instability in the Middle East. Mm. Uh, so uh, the uh, price rise that took place that at that time perhaps uh, was uh, reflecting a lot of psychological and diplomatic uh, fears and possibilities. Uh, luckily, though, none of it came true. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there still is a possibility that the war was spread, uh, but right now the war has uh, been limited geographically to the Gaza region, Gaza Strip, mm -hmm. uh, and Gaza Strip does not produce any oil. It's actually a very small region. Reportedly, it's about the size of Washington, D.C. or Sejong City. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and the uh, war, even though there was some concern that war was spread to Iran because it was, uh, it's still widely believed that Iran was backing the Hamas terrorists, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the war has not spread to uh, Iran. Iran even though uh, Iran and other uh, oil-producing countries did say that they were supporting uh, the uh, Palestine people, uh, they haven't gotten actively involved. So the war really has been limited to uh, the uh, Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. So it hasn't uh, affected oil production at all. And so the uh, fears that we saw uh, at the uh, beginning of the invasion they haven't come true. So uh, the price, uh, some of the largest price increases have been taken because of that concern. And uh, that is falling 
had has fallen basically to pre-invasion levels. Right, if you look right. at the prices, uh, before the invasion, the price of oil was about $82 per barrel. It went up to about $90 per barrel about a week after the invasion, but it's been falling ever since. Mm-hmm. Now, as you mentioned, the price of oil right now is even below uh, where it was at the beginning of the invasion. Uh, and uh, that's because basically uh, three reasons. First, the global economy is slowing down. Uh, not only the current demand for oil, but the future expected demand for oil is falling because of that. IMF has lowered gross predictions for the world uh, for 2024 from 3.0% to 2.9%. But perhaps more specifically, what is more important is expected growth for China. China's uh, uh, ex- uh, growth estimates have been falling faster than the uh, global estimates. Uh, the uh, IMF lower growth forecast for China for uh, 2023 from uh, 5.2 to 5.0 percent. And for 2024, uh, the uh, IMF has lowered uh, China's growth expectation from 5. Uh, 4.5 to 4.2%, so they uh, re-raised it just a uh, couple of uh, weeks ago. But still, uh, if you look at the historical standards, uh, China's uh, uh, growth rate does not look good, and Eurozone and Japan for 2024 doesn't look very good either, and U.S. is expected to grow only by 1.5% in 2024. And then the second reason is that much of the fall in oil prices uh, or increases in oil prices in the past happened due to promises by OPEC and Russia that they would cut production. Uh, But there seems to be some question on how much OPEC uh, has and how much OPEC will actually cut their production. Uh, And we know that non-OPEC producers uh, uh, are increasing production to take the opportunity to uh, take a larger cut of the global market. The uh, U.S. Uh, is uh, certainly one of the producers uh, which are, is increasing their oil production. By some reports, the oil output for the United States is the highest in history, over 13 million barrels per day uh, in September and October. Dr. Young, I want to maybe take a closer look at one of the reasons that you just provided. Skepticisms are actually mounting among analysts who say OPEC plus members may not deliver on promised output cuts as the reduction agreement is not forced. Uh, it's voluntary. This appears to be adding to price uncertainties. Uh, what is your view on this? Okay, well, OPEC members are often their own worst enemies when uh, OPEC decides on production cuts to raise prices. Uh, When OPEC cuts production, there's an incentive for individual countries to cheat uh, to produce more and get a larger piece of the global market for itself. Uh, If you, uh, well, uh, some of your listeners may remember 1990s when we had very low uh, oil prices for a long time. And that was because all the OPEC members were cheating. Uh, Now, the reason that OPEC... uh, countries cheat on their production, uh, not only to increase their global share and uh, get more revenue for themselves, uh, but these, a lot of these oil-producing uh, countries depend on oil revenues for their government income and government spending. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, many OPEC countries have these grand plans to prepare for the uh, so-called post oil future like uh, Naomi City in mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia. Uh, so 
uh, OPEC countries may not be able to afford large production cuts, especially if the prices are that low, and especially if they feel that the only thing that uh, production cuts will do is to open the markets up for non-OPEC oil producers like uh, U.S. and Mexico. And that seems to be what's happening right now. Partially, though, low growth for the world is probably a bigger factor. Now, usually in these cases, Saudi Arabia as the uh, largest producer for OPEC and the leader of OPEC announces a production cut and Russia as the uh, former largest exporter of oil usually announces a production cut as well, sometimes in cooperation. Uh, but both Saudi Arabia and uh, Russia need a large amount of government revenues. Uh, Saudi Arabia, because of... Uh, the uh, production of uh, the uh, construction projects, projects for the future, as I mentioned, like Bayom City, Russia, because they're having large government expenditures due to the invasion into Ukraine. So they may not be able to afford to uh, enforce the production cut. Uh, as you've said, one of the reasons cited for the drop in oil prices also include China's weak recovery. Uh, global ratings agency Moody's downgraded its outlook for China from stable to negative, to which the Chinese government refuted, saying the country's economic fundamentals remain strong. So there's kind of a divide on what is the state of China's economy. So what are the key risks holding back China's growth then? Okay, I'm going to mention about four factors here. Mm. The uh, first and the biggest factor is the uh, large household and corporate debt, uh, which is threatening China's construction industry and the financial sector. Uh, And because the debt in the uh, construction industries, uh, construction companies can no longer afford to build apartments or uh, office buildings. Reportedly, half of uh, Chinese domestic economy was driven by construction. And then it's also an outgrowth of this. A second factor is that with such large household and corporate debt, uh, it restricts the ability of households and uh, companies to consume and invest, which would uh, uh, slow down uh, spending and slow down growth. Mm -hmm. And then third, if you look at uh, developing countries, if you look at Korea, the easiest way to sort of pump start the economy is through starting construction projects. Mm. And because uh, China has used this tool too much in the past, that's one of the main reasons why they have such a big uh, household and corporate debt in the uh, in, uh, construction sector. Uh, it also uh, drove regional governments and public corporations into debt as well. So uh, regional governments and public corporations, well, they do not have funds to uh, uh, pump the uh, local economy. Um, and again, the uh, pump starting the economy through construction is not an option that's available. And then lastly, uh, China's exports. Now, China's exports have been picking up in the last month or so, uh, but the share of exports in Chinese GDP is only about 21%, comparing it's, uh, as a percentage of GDP, it's less than half uh, for Korea. Uh, so that's in half of Korea's, uh, which is about 44%. Uh, so uh, even, even if the exports p- uh, pick up, uh, it's not going to have a shot in the uh, arm effect on the Chinese economy as much as, say, in Korean economy. Uh, so while they will probably be very happy that exports are rising, 
uh, it's not going to have as big an effect on the Chinese economy as it would on, say, Korean economy. Hmm. And then what is your projection of China's growth outlook for next year, Dr. Yang, and how would it impact, of course, subsequently the Korean economy? Okay, well, the uh, uh, growth for China is expected to be substantially less than 5%. Uh, The uh, the, uh, IMF has been predicted uh, that uh, 2024's uh, growth for China will be 4.6%, OECD 4.7%, and then OECD has made a projection for 2025 as well, that's 4.2%. So... Uh, as I mentioned, the IMF has readjusted their growth forecast for China in the uh, last month upwards. So I'm sure that Chinese authorities are happy about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you remember before the uh, pandemic, if the Chinese growth rate fell below 6%, uh, people would be considering it as sort of a semi-disaster. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's going to continue for quite some time. Uh, now, uh, the uh, uh, high household and uh, corporate debt will force down the uh, growth rate for China until they can work out the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's going to take, I think, years. Yeah. China is sort of uh, Chinese central government does have enough money to uh, pump start the economy, and they're doing that. But they do not want to do it through the construction sector because that would just worsen the problem for the future. They're trying to use uh, the uh, central government money to pump start the economy through investment in the manufacturing sector, and that seems to be working. Uh, but it's going to be a lot slower than doing it through the construction sector. Mm. Uh, so how does it affect the Korean economy? Well, Korean economy, Korean exports to China uh, really is dependent not necessarily on China's domestic, domestic growth, but on Chinese exports to third countries. That's because Korea exports intermediate goods uh, that are used in uh, China's exporting goods rather than uh, goods for Chinese domestic economy. So uh, we don't necessarily need Chinese domestic growth to do well, mm-hmm. but we do need China's exports to increase. Uh, that has happened in the last month, uh, okay. but that, but the uh, slowing growth rate for the world uh, makes it a bit pessimistic uh, that China's growth will uh, grow uh, quickly uh, for the next couple of years. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, we should really look, if you're in, if, uh, for Korea's uh, growth, we should look at China's export numbers Rather than Korea, uh, rather than China's domestic growth numbers, mm. it's not contingent on China's domestic numbers. But nonetheless, export numbers aren't really projected to look significantly better compared to this year. So we'll have to wait and see. Thank you very much, Dr. Yang, for today's insights. We appreciate it. Thank you. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.